Hello and welcome to CineDrunk, the podcast where we're drunk on cinema and alcohol. Brought to you by Cinemunch.com. I'm your host Matt, joined by Nathan. That's his hello, that little jingle of ice. Uh, and Elizabeth. Hello. Uh, Nathan, I believe, actually in honor of Sally Hawkins, is going to be silently conveying all of his thoughts on this podcast. So it's going to be really interesting for listeners. Um, we are here to do our favorite podcast of the year which is our top 10s of 2017. Yes. Mm-hmm. I know that you all have been waiting, just refreshing your podcast app every day, saying, when will Drunk's top 10 list finally come out? And, you know, your dreams have come true. It's here. It's here. What are we drinking? Well, you know, as you know, 2017 was a year of hope. Uh... Um, endless Actually, we didn't even need hope because everything was just going so well. The death of hope. It just (laughs) flew by. So we're drinking Bittersweet Ruin. It's it's a little bitter. It's a little sweet. And we're ruined. That's a good description. Um, It's it's gin-based and we've got an Amaro Siciliano Mm -hmm. of sorts. Mm -hmm. A Verna. um, With the gin and some... Hair nectar mm-hmm. of sorts. Yes. Uh, it's very, vi- let me tell you, it's very complex. <laughs> um, but it's delicious. It is. And uh, it's going to get us through this retrospective of the year that was. It truly is. It sure is. I'm excited to see where our top tens will be. Uh, as you know, because you're all super fans listening to us religiously. <laughs> Last year for 2016, we all had the same number one. Which we did. I mean, I don't think even two of us have had the same number one in like a decade and a half at least. So I'm excited to see where things... How old end. are we? <laughs> We're old. We're okay. old, We're yeah, in our 30s. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> half our life. <laughs> Reaching but I'm excited to see. I think there will be a lot of overlap this year with some yes. of the, the best, but maybe not number ones. I don't know. I'm excited to see. Yeah. And I will say, up. I mean, I don't know how exactly you all felt, but I had a very clear like top... Five to seven, yep. and then everything else was in flux. And there were a lot of movies that I liked and admired, but didn't love. Or there were like aspects of it. Like I'm a little sad. I'll just go ahead and say in my top ten, Wonder Woman isn't there. But because like the third act was a typical superhero third act, and I didn't think some of the special effects were that great. But at the same time, I have to admit, like it was emotional seeing a woman be a Mm -hmm. hero like I had an emotional response to that and I think it's an important film because representation matters and the fact that the film like celebrated that she was interested in love Mm -hmm. which is a typically ascribed as like a weak female trait and it was presented as a powerful Powerful. source of strength so like for all those reasons I kept looking for places to put it in my top 10 but I couldn't truthfully and there were so many movies like that so me too. Uh, well, you're speaking. You want to start us off? I mean, what is your number 10? I would love so, to keep no going. Wonder Woman. But... No Wonder Woman. My uh, number 10 spot is The Shape of Water mm-hmm. by Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like his stuff, although I'm not as into his like blockbuster, like Pacific Rim. I haven't even seen. I've seen part of on television because <laughs> that doesn't really interest me, but I really love Pan's Labyrinth. I, of course infamously quite loved um, 
Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak. Was in your top 10, wasn't it? Was it was in my top there 10. I believe go. it was also maybe number 10. So maybe I saved the 10 spot no. for Guillermo. For Del Toro. His movies are always a little bit messy, which this movie is a little bit messy too. Um, some of the like more extreme violence, especially in this movie, I don't know that it needs to be there. Mm. But uh, I love the adult fairy taleness of it all. And yeah. I love how unabashedly it is a tribute, not only to the old monster movies of the 1950s, but just old Hollywood films in general, mm-hmm. which I love. There's a lot of old Hollywood musical montages, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one that I'll speak more specifically of. Um, Sally Hawkins is phenomenal, and I'll talk more about her. We're going to do a performance mm-hmm. podcast so that we can try and be a little bit Thank more you. brief. <laughs> so that we can try to be a little bit more brief, because I could talk about Sally for a really long time. Um, but I really loved that this film was a had a woman with a disability as the lead mm-hmm. um but not in like a fetishizing way like she actually seemed quite average in mm-hmm. every other way like there was no like great tragedy or trauma um and i particularly liked as the adult part of the adult fairy tale that we see her as a sexual being Oh yeah. yeah, very much so. Very much. So. I mean, it literally starts with her like masturbating in a bathtub. As most movies should. <laughs> but it's actually. Right. I mean, Sally Hawkins. Well, she has a great body, but like Sally Hawkins is not like a bombshell. What we think of as a bombshell, yeah. like Hollywood ingenue. And so often, I get annoyed that female nudity, particularly in film, feels like it's there so that they can have female nudity. Yeah. And even though, right, it's the male gaze. For the straight men. Yes, the it's audience. the male gaze, which can occur even, the male gaze can occur in films directed by women or films directed by gay men. Mm-hmm. But this actually didn't feel like the f- male gaze to me because it is so much from her perspective. And it's so almost like normalized. And the film is actually really celebratory of adult women having sexual urges even if they're not with a romantic partner which i feel like we see men's sexual cravings a lot but for women sex is always part of attraction to a man or sure. part of romance, yeah, romance or part of yeah. something else as opposed to just general sexual pleasure mm-hmm. and in that way it was like really revolutionary it really started with that and i was like oh i'm hooked um but i just loved all of it i loved the way all of the characters sort of seems like archetypes. Right, I was going to mention that. But he fleshed them out and gave them more dimension. And the performances, they all did. And the did, performances sure. all They're did. So but the moment that truly, like, I think knocked it onto my top ten is, so she, spoiler alert, fell, falls in love with a fish man. <laughs> like you do. Which Doug Jones is not only a senator from Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> no, different Doug Jones. Doug Jones is fabulous, and he's like the Andy Circus of monster and costume work and mm-hmm. body work but um she's fallen in love with him and she thinks their time to separate has come and she's trying to express how she feels about him and of course her character actually has the barrier that she can't speak but i also feel like you know trying to verbally convey to someone how much you love them is actually a very challenging thing mm-hmm. and one of the reasons that sense I was like a very young child, I loved musicals, is because musicals, when they are at their best, is about expressing something through a more heightened way. Right, right, right. That you actually can't. Like when people complain about musicals, like who breaks out into song? It's like, well, when it's done really, really well, it's actually like a deeper expression of their psychological and emotional state. Yep, yeah. And a more pure and authentic. So when it breaks into the musical number, 
of her singing, mm-hmm. that was when I was like, it reminded me a little bit. One of my favorite movie musicals is um, My Fair Lady, mm-hmm. and particularly I Could Have Danced All Night, which is like a beautiful song, but in the context of the show, it's essentially this woman who has had no life experience, who has been just trying to get by, like has never really known what it is to experience just joy in something else, experiencing joy and kind of falling in love for the first time. And the way she expresses it is through saying, I could have danced all night, but it's really not about dancing. And that's all so yep. clear in that song. And it was totally that moment for me in Shape of Water too. And that's when I was like, oh, nope, I love this movie. So Shape of Water is my number Amazing. 10. It's a something, real treat. Something that occurred to me as you, because of the way you described it is that in a way as as fanciful and like adult fairy tale as it is it's also kind of a triumph of the blue collar worker for sure in a way that like the other that like some definitely that like some films that shall not be named might aspire to do (laughs) um because i loved i it's i'm so glad this is on your top ten. Yeah. Anyway, I loved I loved the movie, but it didn't make my list. I remember you were a little why, bit cooler but on like, it. But yeah. like, but I'm so glad it exists, and I'm so glad it did well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, like more movies about middle-aged women being sexual beings. And more adult fairy tales. And why not? Yeah. Tales. If they're gonna be done that well, sure. The crafts on the film, top to bottom, oh, are gorgeous, stunning, and that's why it's got 13 Oscar noms. Yep. Um, speaking of fish sex, Nathan, what is your number 10? <laughs> oh, how did you know? Um, I'm next. It's a okay. little movie. Or I can go. It doesn't matter. So, my number 10 <laughs> is It Comes at Night. Ooh. Which... That is a Nathan Hegum choice. Yeah, I know it is. Uh, so, uh, this movie... Tell me about by it. By the way... Um, so what, was, what is it first? So it? so this movie is is a horror slash post apocalyptic apocalyptic or apocalyptic sort of tale, but very intimate, mm-hmm. very like small scale. Mm-hmm. Um, it centers on a family that has kind of barricaded themselves into this home mm-hmm. in the woods um, after an undefined event that has devastated the world and is still clearly devastating the world and i think it has something to do with you know a virus or trump's election sickness yeah sure that too. right yep right <laughs> it's not resonant at all in our day and age so no. i don't know why it worked but, um <laughs> but it, i was in awe the entire time of how tightly controlled it was and how intimate it was while still being f- fucking horrific and <laughs> effective and I loved all the performances um and it just it it just stuck with me yeah Yeah. um it said all the things that I feel like just that um apocalyptic movies are trying to say about human nature and like where it's like the question of where your limits are as a person mm-hmm. when you're in a traumatic situation. Yeah. Like where, wh- what's the line between good and evil, which is not a line at all. It's, yeah. we've tried to make it into a line in our philosophy, but it's, it's much more like 
it's much messier than that, especially if you're in a situation where you're about to die. I right. mean, it, it just those kinds of questions I thought it addressed really well. Mm-hmm. And and you love apocalyptic movies. I fucking love apocalyptic movies. You do. Yeah. So yeah, there it's you just go. Very confident and assured. I that director Trey Edward Schultz. Um, his debut future feature, Cresha, was in my top ten last year, and I yeah. also really liked and respected It Comes at Night, which was also even more so of a horror film yeah. than Cresha, which is just about a family's Thanksgiving, but also a horror film. Um, but yeah, the performance, it's got Joel Edgerton, Carmen Jogo, they're both amazing. I love Carmen Jogo always. I loved The Sun. Mm-hmm. I'm blanking on his name, sorry. Calvin Harrison Jr. Something yeah, like that? but he was amazing. And Riley Keough. What a star. I always love her. I don't know. There's something, she there's is, something like yeah. rural. As much as you dislike her grandfather, you love her. Wait, what's, who's your grandfather? Elvis. Elvis Presley. Oh my God. Which I would agree with that. She sprung from the ashes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> anyway, it comes at night. It's worth the look. Nice. It is, for sure. It is one of many movies that I had wanted to see and didn't get to because this year was chaotic and terrible and I didn't see as many as I wanted to. It happens. But. Um, please forgive our radiator in the background. It's just It's fine. Away. We're recording it at a spa. We are. Yeah. Yeah, or by a waterfall. waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, my number 10 of the year is God's Own Country. Mm. A gay film of which there were many really outstanding LGBT films last year and obviously as gay men Nathan are and Wait, I, what? what? Well, as all I three of us are gay men. I've done that joke like five times on this podcast. <laughs> we're, I guess, predisposed to like films Because like representation that, matters. It does. And when it's done well, I mean, right. damn. Because many times it's not. I also right. feel like, sorry not to jump in, no. I want you to talk about this, no. but because this is another one that was on my list and I didn't get to. Um, but I feel like not only was there a lot of LGBTQ cinema this year, but it was um, a lot of them like broke through. Yeah. yeah you know what yeah. I mean? Like to a more critical and to a wider audience in a way that often doesn't where they just like pop up on Netflix. Right. <laughs> and I would say, sorry, I'm delaying your explanation <laughs> no, even please, more, but fine. I would say part of the reason they broke through is because they weren't trapped in the two gay stories that are always told of like either it's only the coming out thing or it's only the AIDS thing or it's only you know like or it's a really bad rom-com straight to Netflix yeah which is like super fun but not you know affecting really yeah anyway Uh, but yeah it's it's a another pretty assured debut of which there were also some oh I didn't realize it was a debut yeah it's his debut film Um, it's kind of been pegged as the British Brokeback Mountain, which it kind of is. It's, um, it, it tells the story of a pretty closeted or internalized emotions um, ranch hand, basically, um, on a farm in rural somewhere in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, the family gets help from um, another, um, an immigrant, actually. Um, forget what country. Um, to, the, to the farm, and they sort of fall in love but it's not really about love it's more so about just connections and community right um so so it has that sort of broke back thing um which i love how british it is and how much as a midwesterner 
we can relate, I think the three of us, to yeah. British, that like, I mean, they would say like stiff upper lip, but like repressing your emotions and like mm-hmm. focusing on, um, yeah, like not letting your fears be shown and all that. And that right. definitely plays into not only the characters, but of course the like internalized homophobia and like right. masculinity, especially the idea of what like, masculinity it's, right, is. Right, it takes yeah. place on a farm and like there's all this like manual labor. There's just such great character work um, and really great performances, of course, from the the two leads, but also Gemma Jones, so great, the elderly British actress. She I, might be I'm, a contender for our elderly British actor of the year cinema. She fabulous. Um, but how they, um, yeah, take all of that like repressed emotions and channel that into like physical labor and the masculine, but it's also pretty unapologetically queer. Like there is definitely some graphic sex scenes that. They aren't romantic. It's it's all it's a very physical film, um, yeah. and I really responded to that, and it does it really well. Um, Which, to be honest, can we just say like, sex is not romantic. <laughs> the actual ac- act of sex is just it's weird. <laughs> it involves like weird fluids and like whether hetero or gay or lesbian or queer or whatever. Like, sex yep. is something that is about how it feels and not how it looks. So. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. And this movie is very realistic about all of that. And, yeah. <laughs> and it stays true to all of its characters and it doesn't like have like everything is tidy with a bow. It's not like... Nice. Yeah. And it also has some really great goat performances. Oh my God. Just Maybe that'll be goats. since we were like not sure Wasn't about what sheep? our feline performance would be. Mm. No, oh, it is sheep. You I don't racist. Remember. I know. They're all the same to me. Sheep goats, are sheep. far superior to goats. I mean, that's, that's speaking of racist, but. <laughs> Not <laughs> and... all goats. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely worth checking out God's Own Country. It really, it has such a strong sense of place and loneliness and it's very humble and not showy. It's, uh, it's worth checking out. And it's my number 10 of the year. I yeah. love it. I'm not going to say any more about that movie for no reason at all. Oh, okay. Um, I'm so mad yet. I didn't get to it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess I'm going to start sure. with number nine. What's your number nine? It. My number nine is Princess Sid. Hmm. Which is interesting in the sense that for me, well, okay, so it, let's start at the beginning. It's a movie. It's a... <laughs> Small, intimate family drama, I uh-huh. guess, of sorts. Extended family drama. Um, about a high school girl who goes to live with her aunt. For a summer in Chicago. For a summer in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And the thing that really struck me about the movie, in part, was how much it stuck with me. How much the little moments, mm-hmm. the like minutia of what was happening on the screen revealed some truth or at least a feeling (laughs) in me and um you know normally i would say a movie like this doesn't have enough of a point or like a like an overarching theme like it's ambitions tying it together its ambitions are so humble but they are so successful Mm -hmm. yeah like it it's not so much a movie that's that I'm responding to. It's like a series of really great vignettes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think that's fascinating. And I 
I want to think about it even more. Like, why, why did this movie work for me when some others like it do not for yeah. that very reason? But um, that performances are amazing. I love the idea of, you know, steaks being drawn on chocolate cake in the evening. Like, yes, a slice yeah. of cake being a turning not a turning point, but like yeah. A, yeah. a fulcrum of emotion, <laughs> which is yeah. like which real is like to so life. true. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so true. Life. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It just it just worked. It was like one of those movies, like uh, Rachel getting married, or mm, that's a um, good comparison, actually. Yeah. Like, where it's very family drama, and it just even though the works. only real family you see is the two of them, and then the rest of the characters are just sort of. You know, coworkers. Yeah, or but it's, it's, still it's not a really, family drama. It's, no, no, I know, but, but like, yeah, yeah, it yeah. feels that way. Totally, yeah. like, totally. She's kind of the young girl, Jesse like, Pinnock, who's great. Like entering great. that world of the aunt and her. She's an author, a successful author. Yeah. Who's religious? Yeah. And the young girl is not. But then she. It's also another LGBT film of the year. She's yeah. sort of coming of age and sort of dealing with her attraction to another young girl and that relationship yeah yeah i agree well i will say that it is my number 17 although really like my number 11 through 20 could all be interchanged and i think part of that is just recency Mm -hmm. i saw it either like maybe a week ago and i just you know when movies are so recent it usually takes time to digest unless it's one of those movies that just like knocks me out but I think it's interesting. That's this kind of movie, though, that doesn't knock you out. It doesn't right. knock you out. Right. But right. I will say that I think, like, a common theme I was realizing as I was making my list just in general, not even just top 10, but, like, 20, is um, the specific is universal. Yep. That the more, mm-hmm. along with, like, how important representation is, that you can tell a really specific story and make it feel universal in a way that when you're trying to tell a story for everyone, it somehow becomes diluted and becomes for no one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of the movies that I responded to, you know, some that are like, oh my gosh, that's totally me. Or I'm thinking of like Edge of 17 last year. Where I was like, oh my God, this is almost painful to watch because I see <laughs> so much of my own personal experience versus Moonlight, which obviously I have really nothing in common with those characters, but it was so specific in who those that person right. specifically and capturing Chiron, those emotions and feelings yeah Chiron that, like specific in the storytelling that it became universal that I did right. understand it and it resonated with me and I felt that way about Princess Sid that it was yeah. so specific that it took on a deeper meaning than which I would recommend for both of you the writer director Stephen Cohn he is yeah, an no, out no, gay man from Chicago or at least he basically lives in Chicago yeah. or sets most of his films there and he's also religious or grew up religious uh, I'm, I guess I'm not positive if he still would say he prescribes to a certain religion but yeah. um, his previous two features I think he's made more than that but they're both really excellent and also very specific um, yeah. I would say they're more so rooted in like a religious community than Princess Sid is but they're also like very specific and so I mean it's clearly of his experiences that he's had but they're because they're so specific and come from such an authentic place that they're really resonant. I love it's um I think they're both on Netflix, The Wise Kids, which I think was my number 10 in like 2011 or whenever that came wow. out. And Henry Gamble's Birthday Party from last year. I think they're both on Netflix. Ooh, well, they no, also I definitely want to check it out cuz that was what I responded to the most just having 
grown up in a very Catholic household. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I still struggle with like the idea of squaring religion with my like world philosophies and beliefs mm-hmm. and moral implications and how it fits in and how it doesn't and how people who are still religious because I don't consider myself so and like mm-hmm. how to understand them and what it provides for them and yeah. And it has just such empathy yeah. of character. It doesn't look down or like yes condemn religion but it also doesn't like praise it like right. it, it just exists as like a thing that is in people's lives because again i don't think it, it's about that it's no, about it's the, just specifics, in the, background the specifics of a person and part of this person is their experience with religion yeah mm-hmm. well i definitely would look him up um i guess you should yeah, you go should. next sure was that you're good yeah princess sid princess sid See check it. it out it's really great um which just briefly i'll say because you got to mention wonder woman and speaking about religion yeah, um novitiate <laughs> Uh, I think it was a really great film from last year with a fantastic ensemble and it's my number 11 so it just missed my list but also sort of dealt also with some LGBT issues and religion oh. and things a little a little teaser there a little this that, a little that, that, that I think if I had managed to squeeze in probably could have cracked my tongue, yeah it's super good especially when it has seeing. to do with Catholicism it usually resonates mm-hmm. and Melissa Leo who's everyone's favorite <laughs> consider I will never mother. stop considering her. I'm wearing her fur coat right now. <laughs> Aren't we all? Uh, on a very different <laughs> note, my number nine uh, is a film that we saw over the summer, and I was like, that's definitely in my top ten, but we didn't discuss it too much because I knew it would not be in yours. And then I rewatched it late recently, and it fell a few spots on my list, but it's Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. Oh, I'm glad that's on your list. Which I respect so goddamn much. Yeah. I I think it's so fucking cool, this like niche that Christopher Nolan has carved out for himself where his movies are crazy successful. Like, they mm-hmm. make a ton of money, and yes, they are critically acclaimed, and they often get awards buzz or nominations and things. Yeah. Even if this is his first Best Director nomination, which is crazy. Um, but that there are still like art films like he comes yeah like he still has that sensibility oh, yeah. of and it might be a little pretentious depending on the film um, but he still is like trying to make a statement or like bring together like the best of the best crafts people to create <laughs> yeah oh a, yeah a really wonderful story so the, on the surface yes this is just a war film um, and he does do a little too much in trying to zhuzh a screenplay that's pretty a pretty simple story you know get the soldiers off the beach of yeah. dunkirk in france you know when they're like backed into a corner by the germans in world war ii yeah um and utilize you know the, the civilians of of britain yeah. to bring ships across to get them to get the boys back home um but he does a thing with you know one week versus one day versus one hour land, sea, and air. That's a little too much. Yeah, it is a little contrived. um, But it still works. And when those three storylines come together, I still get chills. And I think it's gripping. It's visceral. um, You know, its ambitions are obviously very high, but I think it's executed very well. Mm -hmm. Um, um, The soundscape, the score, the sense of tension, it's such a build, but it's also just the images are gorgeous. If this ends up winning cinematography... I'm okay with it, even if it deprives Roger Deakins of another chance at 
Oscar for Blade <laughs> well, Runner 49. But Oscar Deacons also is still a relatively young man. Oscar Deacons. Oscar Deacons. <laughs> wow. No, I'm just, it was a Freudian moment. Yeah, right. No, I just mean... That's bold. He, he's, Deacons is still a relatively young man, and he does incredible work, so he eventually, at some point, will get it. Yeah, yeah no, I it think was so a beautiful... Too. Like, the crafts were impeccable. Yeah, and, it, and again, this, my problems are with the script, and it is a little hokey at times. I understand the reason why and if you haven't seen it these are spoilers skip ahead a couple minutes the barry kyogen like oh shucks guy little Georgie. young young boy who gets on the boat and decides to go across with them who's just your like everyday kind of archetype yeah young lad ends up being the one that dies i mean of the there's an, yeah. an, an honest people that die of course because it's war um, but just by being like knocked over and falling down some stairs and like basically breaking his neck or something like I that. I think he like, yeah, he has or a head Or bashes his head yeah. Yeah, yeah, and bleeds to death or something. But then it also, the more I think about that, like I understand why it's there and I get the I artistic really get impulse that, yeah. of that. Like war is just kind of a crap. I mean, and, and, and life death. and death, death is, is just like, whoops, that happened. Yeah. And, and then it does get, it is a little maudlin, but at the end the, you know, all he wanted was to like make his dad proud and he gets in the local paper and, yeah oh my god it moves me to tears and that i think harry styles is great in the movie and and yeah. fiona whitehead I, I really love the ensemble as much as they are kind of anonymous and that's the point which is intentional yeah but at the end you know when they're coming back and they they all feel i mean I, if you were in that situation of course you feel like yeah. defeated and like our country is going to be so upset with us like yeah. we basically surrendered yeah yeah um, but they're so proud to have them back home and alive too, it and it's of, also a story i didn't know yeah no yeah although now we like really know because there were three movies about <laughs> right <laughs> yes <laughs> um it's also you know sort of also ties into the idea of like masculinity right oh, which sure. is is there pride and defeat which i feel like is something we could like remember that sometimes just staying alive is the more heroic action anyway Amen. um Dunkirk did not make my list, but I really admire it. I mean, like, even I was so excited about this director lineup, and I think Christopher Nolan totally, ex like, deserves it. He's an expert technician. I have the same problem, which is that his movies always, I really appreciate them on a, like, visceral level, mm -hmm. um, but not an emotional level, which is fine. Yep. Like, it's yeah, yeah. really, really fine. And, you know, the good thing about this movie is that because it was, like, a male story... Um, there were no dead wives or girlfriends. <laughs> That's true. He couldn't Which, resort to that. Which, by the way, is kind of funny because I've been reading like interviews with him, and he's kind of an adorable man. And he <laughs> makes all of his movies with his wife. Right. She's his the producer. The, they're like such a loving, amazing couple. <laughs> and I've sold them sheets before. So I'm just really they're confused very nice. by the dead wife trope because he seems to be very happily married, and she's like his creative equal. Which is sort <laughs> of sweet. It makes me like sort of find him adorable. Um, but I think for me, like we were just talking about this, um, I loved, I think the first real war film I ever watched was Saving Private Ryan. Mm. And that is very much a road movie, which like same way of the Lord of the Rings movie. The first one is my favorite because mm -hmm. it's a road movie about forming the bonds. The like there's yeah, something yeah. about the bond between men in war <laughs> that I find very yeah. moving. And I think it's because of the way we see masculinity, which is that we don't often get to see men have deep, meaningful 
powerful connections to each other and feelings for each other but war is sort of the one place that's accepted yep and that that always really resonates with me so like i love saving private ryan for that reason is that we see those bonds and then i loved the band of brothers miniseries and that was missing in dunkirk because that wasn't what dunkirk was about which is why i think it like Mm -hmm. that's fair didn't emotionally resonate but i totally i'm glad you put that on your list because it's definitely a worthwhile worthwhile film of this year i think so Um, and you'll be happy to note that Another film that was like artistically ambitious that I considered was Darren Aronofsky's Mother. So. Oh, <laughs> so that won't be on my that's list. That's enough. That's enough. Moving but, on. You know, but it is my number fifteen of the year. Speaking oh, of direct- directors, though, who I think like sometimes like their pretension overtakes them and doesn't ma- and comes from like I don't actually think that what could be deemed as pretentious from Christopher Nolan is actually pretension. I think it's just what interests him in filmmaking, mm-hmm. what he feels yeah. passionate about. Agreed. The same thing I would argue about Paul Thomas Anderson. Hmm. Um, whereas Agreed. like Darren Aronofsky, I'm like, oh no, you're just actually up your own asshole. <laughs> <laughs> like you will never be happy with a woman because you really just want to fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> but anyway... Um, so now I really appreciate that Dunkirk was on your list. Great. Um, my number nine is very different. Oh no. Uh, my number nine is a movie called Band-Aid, which I saw over the summer. Um, and it was written and directed and starring Zoe Lister-Jones, who you've probably seen from TV. I think she's on a show called Life As We Know. No, that's a different show. I don't know. She's on some CBS show that I've never seen. She had a like arc on New Girl. Oh. As um, Schmidt's like uh, congresswoman girlfriend. Oh, okay. She was she was real funny, um, but this is I mean she's really a talent to look out for. The fact that she wrote and directed it and starred in it. Um, speaking of female gaze, there are like a couple of sex scenes that are like you watch it and you're like, yep, this was directed by a woman. <laughs> and I think she also was like very adamant that her whole like set be women. So she nice. used like a female DP and. Fi- Anyways, it was a very female-centric production. But beyond that, it's essentially a very intimate story about her and her husband, who's played by Adam Pally. And and he's great. He's really, really great Hmm. in this role. With, like, surprising, I always... I loved happy endings and think that he's (laughs) hilarious, but there's, like, a new depth Mm -hmm. um, that I saw to his performance. Not unlike when... um, What was the name? Oh, fuck. Jesse and Celeste, oh, Celeste and Jesse forever. Yes, mm-hmm. Celeste and Jesse forever. When I saw that, and I was like, "Oh, there are different levels to Andy Samberg." It was mm-hmm. sort of a similar mm-hmm. thing with um, Adam Polly, but it's basically a married couple who is in crisis, and we just sort of start with them, and they're in crisis. We're not entirely sure why. Um, everything they do seems to annoy one another. They go to therapy, and therapy is not conducive for them. They try to have sex, and it's like neither of them wants to even touch each other. And it turns out that it's super therapeutic for them to create songs together about their marital problems. So they start initially just singing at each other, and Fred Armisen plays their neighbor, who is the drummer, and he's really hilarious. Um, And then they sort of start performing with their band, and it's these like deeply personal songs, which, by the way, Zoe Lister-Jones also wrote the songs, as well as performing it. I mean, she's beyond talented. I'm I'm on board for whatever she does next, and I hope that she gets a lot more opportunity. But the film ends up being an examination of a relationship in crisis, the power of music, Mm. and not even just music, but like 
finding an activity outside of your problems that you can connect through, like Mm -hmm. how healing and therapeutic that can be. But we learn maybe halfway through that the real part of why their marriage is in crisis is that they've had a miscarriage. And specifically with her, she feels like she is a failure as a woman. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we have such a confused way still as a society. And I say this as a person who has never been pregnant and doesn't want actually to ever be pregnant or have children. But we have such a confused idea when it comes to the stories we tell about women in pregnancy. And it's usually either like the miracle of having a child and being a mother or it's our very complicated relationship as a society with abortion mm. that we don't talk about how, especially when we talk about abortion and stuff like that, how it affects women who has miscarriages, which I straight up did not know until like three years ago that um, like one in three, statistically one in three pregnancies end in a miscarriage. Oh, wow. Like it is a very, very it's common thing. It's shockingly yeah. common in a way that I thought it like, was this rare thing. Well, again, it's like representation. It is. And it was like this really emotional thing, which again, specificity, right? It is an experience. I am not married. I don't plan to have children. I've never had a miscarriage. I don't know what those are, but it was so clear. I know women personally now that I'm older who have had miscarriages. Like, and the idea of the messages, again, speaking of like masculinity and what we think it means to be a man also the idea of femininity and specifically when it comes to motherhood Mm -hmm. and the idea that when you have a miscarriage you feel like well what does this mean is to me as a woman am i a failure because of it and anyways it was just such a beautiful and fun and this makes the movie sound really dark (laughs) but it's actually not it's also very funny it was cathartic it was just really moving, and especially for a first-time director, writer, nice. wrote the song, performer. She's a fabulous actress. I would really recommend it, Band-Aid. Definitely want to see it, and I figured we could rent it at some point, and I'm sure we could rent it digitally, but it's not available via DVD on Netflix. Which like, is It's crazy still in our queue, and it just says it's saved to the queue, which Also, is that seems like a movie that should have had like a theatrical run and then gone immediately to a streaming platform. Right. Anyway. Uh, I think Maddie, word to you. With to me, eight. number eight. Oh, we're only on number eight. Okay, let's let's go through. Uh, <laughs> my number <laughs> eight is a haunting, haunting film, and it is a ghost story. Um, David Lowry. That sounds haunting. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, from writer director David Lowry, who most recently did Pete's Dragon. Which see, before. it's so good. I love Pete's Dragon. Pete's is Dragon. super good. This is very different from that. Uh, but he, <laughs> like had this idea for the film and quickly reunited with his Ain't Them Body Saints stars, um, Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara, um, to create, you just film in a couple weeks, this really small story. I mean, it's hard to, I don't want to, I'm not going to describe too much about it because part of its strength is just living in this movie and kind of experiencing it. And it's, it's very much like a mood piece. It's the basic premise is that, um, Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara are a couple, um, and he's involved in a fatal car crash and dies. And the rest, he spends the rest of the film as like a, a ghost, uh, just with a Would white sheet. Would he be sheet. the titular character? He is the titular. He is the Tempest. That's hella tight. <laughs> wow, <laughs> Ladybird references, one and two. Um, but yeah, it's also similar to like Dunkirk or even Mother. Just confidence of, just craft and storytelling and it's a it's pretty 
small and intimate, but its strength comes. I, I, it's it's hard to talk about. It seems actually. like it's like a metaphysical like contemplation of death and grief. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It, it's poignant. It's a mood piece on grief and loss and life. Really, it, it definitely has just the element of surprise, which is really in its favor. Just as you're watching, you it goes in directions that you would not think it ever would. Which and Rooney is Mara so strong. Ate a pie for the first time ever. There's a full like five minute scene where Rooney Mara we just watch Rooney Mara eat like an entire pie it is a very slow film it is not for everyone it's languid and luxurious and kind of bizarre Um, just like I like my ghost stories (laughs) (laughs) but so mundane but profound like yeah. Even just that the costume for Casey is it's like a sheet. a sheet with holes cut out for the eyes, like yeah. a cheap kid's Halloween costume, and it somehow has just this really resonant effect. It's and the music is is fantastic throughout. Well, the trailer has a really great song to it. I loved the Ooh, song. I don't for know the if trailer. I've seen the trailer. Oh, we should watch the trailer because mm, the song is well, really good. Well, but yeah, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's. I mean, yes, there's the Casey Affleck of it all, but it's not even like about. Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara, like yeah. at all. And I know it's not, but that's, I will say that's been my like major sticking point because I know mm-hmm. that it's been really loved. I really love David Lowry and I'm intrigued by the premise, but just in the year that we've had, I just couldn't watch a movie with Casey Affleck. That is fair. <laughs> that is fair. So that's my number eight, a ghost story. Nice. Back to you, uh, to me. Brizzle. My- <laughs> Ms. Brizzle. Ms. Brizzle. Hi. <coughs> Sorry, I have a cough because... My number eight is the big stick. That was a really terrible Ooh, Oh my god! What a transition, Kumail. Yeah, I've got your promotional marketer yes. here. So I we saw the big stick um, when it came out in theaters, and I really really liked it. And then this one definitely had the luxury of a rewatch. I rewatched it. Yeah. Just last week. Um, it you know I love I still stand up for the rom com. Especially when I was young. I grew up, I feel like, in the heyday of the rom-com, which is the 90s. Um, But I love that it's an unconventional twist on it. Like, it feels like a rom-com, but for now. Um, Yeah, so the story of it is based sort of on the real-life story of Kumail Nanjiani and his wife, Emily V. Gordon, um, who, in real life, Emily V. Gordon was put into a... Uh, medically induced coma because it turned out she had an autoimmune disease that almost killed her. Uh, and while this girl that he has been dating and has actually had a pretty like terrible breakup with um, goes into the hospital, is in the medically induced coma, coma, he then spends time with her parents. And so in some ways it's almost a romance between him and the parents. Yeah. Which is a really lovely idea all the performances are top-notch Kamal Nanjiani is really a great leading man he anchors that movie really well I love all the stuff with his family and the fact that it addresses that it's complex to sometimes date biracially mm-hmm. um, especially with a family who is not um, an eth- ethnicity or a culture that is not um, ingrained in American culture. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'll share, cause I don't think he'll listen to this. <laughs> yeah. I'll share that. Like 
especially when I saw it, like it really hit home for me in a weird way because I'm white and my boyfriend is Chinese American and I still have not met his parents. I've met his brother and his sister. Although I would like to say like he talks openly about me with his parents and they just live in California and we haven't made it work now. But, um, when he first told his mom that he was dating someone, her first question was, well, is she American or is she Asian? Which is also hilarious. But (laughs) so, you know, and I had this like intense, a little bit of an intense feeling about that and being worried about it. And, and I like that they address it. Like I love, I think sometimes we're in a period now where we do want to see like biracial relationships just exist. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we get so worried about normalizing it that we don't address the fact that, well, there are like cultural things the same way there would be cultural things. If like someone from a super Christian family dated a Jewish girl or, you know what I mean? Like whatever that these things do matter and they come up in relationships and I think it handles it really nicely with his family. Um, But I also just love the fact that it's a, it's a rom-com that essentially is like, the relationships that we form in times of crisis and how times of crisis can clarify our emotions. Sure. Um, Mm -hmm. The stakes are high. The stakes are really high. And we'll talk more about it, I think, when we get to the performance category. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I will say that Ray Romano, I hated because of Everybody Loves Raymond. (laughs) And I loved him in this movie. He's so good. And Holly Hunter, I've always sort of underwritten. And I freaking love Holly Hunter and Holly Hunter if for no other reason to see the big six see the big six for the Holly Hunter because holy fuck she good she damn good she real good so that's my number eight the big six nice cool what Nathan is your number eight my number eight is a little film I like to call Ingrid Goes West (laughs) Uh (laughs) um in this movie like uh, again I have trouble figuring out why it worked so well for me i think part of it is that obviously it's resonant to our generation of you know living part or even sometimes most of our lives virtually in a in a very curated i mean i haven't been listening to this whole time i've been on instagram (laughs) right i don't know what what is the film (laughs) So, everyone knows. Come on. Do they? Um, <laughs> no, it stars Aubrey Plaza, who is basically an Instagram stalker. Yeah. And um, she... A little unhinged. A little unhinged. Like, uh, frankly, Quite a bit unhinged. all of us. Well, um, I think she's also just suffering from depression. Like, oh, sure. yes. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing I love about this Her mother has movie. died. She's suffering yeah. from depression. And I think... Sorry, I'll let you continue. Yeah. So, she... Her mother's died. She like she's been kind of the she she has a, a moment of intense shame in her own community, mm-hmm. and so she's looking for a way to kind of escape and get away from that. And she's a Instagram stalker, and she has a a bundle of money that she comes into, so she can kind of like dick around for a little while, mm-hmm. and um, she goes. I think it's California, right? She goes yes. out to, to, to like stalk west. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, she goes west. <laughs> she actually does go west. Um, and I think so. Part of it is like so. A, a movie I loved this year that didn't make my list was Personal Shopper. Mm-hmm. Um, and this reminds me of that to the extent that it integrates 
social media, texting, like the sort of mobile existence mm-hmm. we have now really well. Like yeah, it, it doesn't feel like it's way. just, <laughs> it, it feels like it, it, it's a good approximation of how it feels to live. Right. That way. As opposed to when people are like binging things. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, and so there's that. And then Aubrey Plaza really like, I've, I've of course always thought she's hilarious, but also a little bit one note and she's still, you know, somewhat of somewhat of an Aubrey Plaza character, but her yeah. performance is so Nuance. empathetic. Mm-hmm. And like you, yeah. you for how insane she is at times, it's like you get it. Yeah. You get why this person raised in this culture and existing in this way is acting like this. And mm-hmm. you know, it's it's over the top for sure, but sometimes that is really what drives a point home about our existence. Like there's a lot of rep- there's a lot of repetition of, you know, someone being insane on social media, but that's like it helps kind of drive the point home. I don't know. Yeah. And it's hilarious, but mostly <laughs> it's sad. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. It's it just is like sad. I love super how seriously great. it takes its premise, which is kind of like yeah. a one, one. It's pretty simple, or like one note. Like right. she ends up kind of stalking this Elizabeth Olsen character who seemingly has this perfect life, and right. Elizabeth Olsen is so good. She's great. I'm so glad she's a thing. That would be an ensemble nomination for me. Oh that sure, I love all great. of them. O'Shea Jackson Jr. Great. So good. Um, but how it fleshes in all that and really treats. Both the situation and its characters really empathetically, like you said, with a lot of nuance. Really, it takes yeah. it seriously, so it almost plays like a drama, but it's definitely a comedy, and it could be just kind of like a right. a bad comedy that's like geared to like getting the Instagram generation into theaters or something. But it it takes it seriously, and yeah, and it sort of is a condemnation of that culture. Oh yes, for sure. Oh, yeah. I think that's that sort of it is. It's a condemnation of that culture. I think it might age well and be something that people are like, "Oh, this was a movie for the moment." <laughs> it's like, like the social network of ten years later. I mean, right. kind right. of. It could be. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe not that level. But right. But yeah. But yes. No. A good agreed. choice. Great movie. Thank you. Worth watching if you haven't seen it. Um, that was your eight. Yep. Briz, so it's number to me, seven. Number seven. So this is another movie that is about um, the universal power of making a story specific. My number seven is Coco. Ah, Coco. Love Coco. I loved Coco so so much. I was deeply moved by it. Um, but I think part of the reason I was so deeply moved by it is because it was very specific in the family and the culture it was portraying, and it was one that is not one of my own. And mm-hmm. I feel like I learned a lot, um, especially about De Los De Muertas, which... Close. That was not correct. Please do it. I'm a little too drunk right Dia now. Dia de los Muertos. Thank you. Dia de los or Muertos. Or Dia de Muertos. Yes. Sí. Um, which... I, <laughs> fuck you. Shut up, Matt. Who's pretentious now? Mike Bloomberg. Is that you? <laughs> Darren Aronofsky joined our podcast. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm a little sauced from this bittersweet ruin. It's real good. It's, it's ruined me. Yeah. Um. But I, I also think it's just rare that we see, of the many stories we see told, especially stories about family. It's usually about family dysfunction, which this film definitely has its aspects of family dysfunction, but it's really about the power of like 
remembering your family and remembering where you came from and celebrating your past and your ancestors, which is such a beautiful message. Yeah. And one that we don't have that often. No. And um, the vocal performances were all really fantastic. It was very funny. Visually, the film is stunning. Gorgeous. Yeah. Gorgeous. I mean, Pixar is always exemplary, but... There was something about taking it to a different place and to a different mm-hmm. culture that was just like really, 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 really gorgeous yeah. and, and respectful. They really took it there, yeah. They also like they threw in uh, they threw in Spanish words and things like that, but never in a way that felt like we're doing this in the Dora ex- the Explorer way to teach you a new language or to like kowtow. It was very like casual show. in the way that like families I know who are Latinx like just do sometimes use Spanish words because it's part of their family life and it's casual and necessary. Yeah. I don't know. It was really just such a lovely movie. They have the song Remember Me, which is nominated for Oscar, which is used several times oh. during the movie. And then the third time it's used, I cried hysterically. I'm like tearing up right now. One, because I'm drunk, but two, because I'm remembering that moment. Yep. Which I know the joke is always that like Pixar movies make you cry, but it feels authentically earned, especially because again, we're not used to seeing movies where like, it's about loving your family and understanding your family and figuring out your family and your place within it. And it also is a film about the power of music and following your dreams, which I really relate to. Amen. So Coco. Hooray. See it. I loved it. Yep. I want to watch it again right now. Great choice. Great choice. Um, it's you, Nathan? Yeah, yeah. number seven. seven. Ooh. Okay. Well, my number seven. Uh-oh. Here it is. My number seven <laughs> um, is Patty Cakes. Oh. Which is not surprising, I don't think, I to Matt. But <laughs> I was expecting it to be like split or something controversial. No. Tulip fever. <laughs> Um, so Patty Cakes is set in New Jersey, mm-hmm. um, f- and following this young girl, teenager, mm-hmm. maybe yeah, older, so. um, and she, uh, is really into rap. Yeah, she's an aspiring rapper. She's an ar- aspiring rapper. So, I mean... The best thing for me about it is that it's an underdog story that feels earned and feels mm-hmm. like there's a a purpose to it in the world. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like it, you know, she's a real human being with faults and flaws, like all of us. But sure. you never stop rooting for her, mm-hmm. um, and she's just trying to like touch that spark of life mm-hmm. like she's trying to make it happen yeah isn't that what we're all trying place. to do um it's just wonderful i don't even know if i want to say anything else about it it's, yeah, it's, it's like uplifting it's the feel-good movie that Another feels movie i did not get to that i'm sad I yeah no it's such a feel-good movie which normally is so off-putting to me because it's, you hate feeling good. Well, yeah, but also it feels like it's it feels like it's forced on you, and it's like yeah, right. I don't it, you know this one is earned feel good. This one is authentic and relatable, and 
It's very idiosyncratic. Messy. Messy. But yeah. not not in the construction of the film, but in the characters and their situations, and it's real, and it, it it's like... Great mother-daughter relationship, which yeah. is another film that we will all talk I about later. I love the lead. I love the mother. I love the best friend character. Like, all yes. the performances. Yeah. It's cast really well. Yeah. So... And music always does it for me, and there's a fantastic, like, final song that... Mm. I mean, as it's you a good can moment. tell, I so far have The Shape of Water, Band-Aid, and Coco, which are all, like, music musically heavy. driven yeah. for their climax and emotional resonance. So. so we love our music. Lovely choice. Pedicakes. Pedicakes. My number seven uh, is a film we were all kind of dreading and then all, I think, ended up loving. It's Phantom Thread. Yes. Paul Thomas Anderson's film about Daniel Day-Lewis plays... It's um, about Daniel Day-Lewis. It's about Daniel Day-Lewis and his final performance. Well, that's what I, I mean, was worried it would be of. about. Kind right, of. so was yeah, I. I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's Daniel Day-Lewis plays... Um, Reynolds Woodcock. The best name in cinema. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, this script... Incre- original screenplay this year was a bloodbath. Like, yeah. I'm surprised this didn't get in, especially with its other nominations, but it would have been deserving. Um, so he plays a couturier, like a house of you know fashion. He's the head designer. Um, Leslie Manville is amazing as his Ugh. sister, and like also like co-runs business the, the partner, brand right? business partner. His old so and so. His old so and so. You know, what's it? Cecil? What's her name? Cecil. Cecil. Yeah, yeah. Cecil. Um, and Vicky Cripes, the Ugh. incredible. Incredible finding. Cripes, she's good. Cripesies. Um, <laughs> from Luxembourg, uh, she enters the picture and his life and sort of upends things. Um, I think we were all expecting, especially from Paul Thomas Anderson and Daniel Day-Lewis and the trailer, Ooh, the trailer. this kind of stuffy, like, the master, this is a great but... man who's a great artist picture and wow does it subvert that mm-hmm. so well and so sneakily mm-hmm. it's so well done it's it's like just immaculate and impeccably done and yeah subverting exceeding expectations goodness the cinematography is amazing <sighs> like it's basically takes place in basically one house i mean there are definitely other scenes outside of this house where he lives and um, works. and works and works but just the movement of the camera, it's such a Ooh, dance. Yeah. It's so Yeah. I mean, I fluid. feel like I've been to that house. Right. Like, I've been inside of it. I like, could I have draw those you memories of, of being yeah. and working in that house. It's gorgeous. Um, eating obviously toast the, in that house, yeah. <laughs> eating loud toast. <laughs> the sneaky two-hander. I love how romantic it is, but <laughs> twisted as fuck. <laughs> but, like relatably romantic and it's it's clearly a film and an artistic statement but it does feel kind of rooted in life and real relationships i love so paul thomas anderson in real life is married to the great great goddess maya rudolph mm-hmm. and it was a sort yeah isn't that a crazy oh, pairing? You didn't know that? love it they have many children together oh yeah like and four. this is like inspired Power by couple. he was sick at one point with some <laughs> illness and she was like taking care of him and it was such a like upend of his ego as like a man and an artist and probably the breadwinner of the family like the critically acclaimed one Uh, it just (laughs) it lingers and I love so much how I mean it's kind of like a ghost story how I watched it and part of why I resonated why it resonated so much with me was it 
subverted my expectations or it, it exceeded them. It, it was not what I expected. Right. And this movie definitely has that, especially coming from Paul Thomas Anderson and Daniel Day-Lewis as a collaboration between writer-director and star. There Will Be Blood is, I think, a masterwork. It's fucking amazing, but it's like masculinity with a capital M, like a great man Which, in great America. It's all about America. I will say, controversially, I hate There Will Be Blood. Oh, I I can appreciate, adore. like... The level of filmmaking, but sure. it is toxic masculinity in a way that I cannot stand to watch it. It makes me physically uncomfortable, and That's I feel fair. like as someone who considers myself a relative cinephile, it's always been like so frustrating that people are like, "This is the greatest movie of the twenty first century." Well, I don't blah, go that blah, blah, far, blah, blah. but I do love it. But yeah. people fucking love it, and I'm like, I hate that movie. I hate that movie. <laughs> so I was expecting that. So I was with expecting this. that too. Yeah. Especially with the Daniel Day-Lewis of it all, who he can be, like, the reason for well, existence we'll of a about, lot of these movies. We'll talk about him when it comes to performance, because <laughs> i got some things to say. Ooh. And we'll talk about this movie more. Yeah, but but yeah, so as, like, a companion piece to Daniel Day-Lewis in There Will Be Blood, <laughs> yeah, it, could is, not be. it is real good. And Vicky Cripes... Because it's a Kripes, feminine Kripes, picture. Kripes. It really is. Anyway. So yeah, that's my number seven. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm going to go butter some toast loudly and pour a glass of water Please do. You might leave the room, but the interruption stays with me. <laughs> All day. Um, we're, we're at, what, six? We're at six. Which You've done be... your seven. I've done my seven. Yeah, so oh. you, you got six. You... Six. <gasps> okay. Um, my number six is... <laughs> <laughs> Let me see if I get this right for, like, the American release. BPM parentheses, beats per minute, parentheses. We oui. Right? Okay. Oui. So that's my number six. Mm-hmm. Matt? You have nothing more to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you got the pronunciation. Um, so. Look it up. Figure it out. Yet another... Okay, so this this is following, like, the French um, uh, branch of ACT UP uh, during the AIDS crisis, which ACT mm-hmm. UP was the kind of unapologetic, you know fuck you we're dying sort of kind of the black panther of the sure yeah 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 yeah. like uh you know yeah 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 the the protest arm that doesn't visibility is key punches and so this kind of centered on the effort in mainly paris the french Mm -hmm. yep effort to um get people to fucking wake up about aids and and figure it out um, and I think the main reason that it stuck with me so well is how like vibrant and alive and present the whole thing felt mm-hmm. for a movie that's clearly set in our past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like 1990. Yeah. It's like it could. So like most interpretations would have been pleasingly 80s or 90s like you know that kind of like aesthetic and tempo and rhythm that we expect with that era that works and Mm -hmm. says something real about that era but this to me wasn't trying for that it was trying to be alive Mm -hmm. which of course works with the theme of the movie of trying to be alive but yeah um, yeah I mean I don't know. I mean, that's like the number one. You know, obviously the performances were amazing. This the script was great. The people were beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like a it, yeah. 
like a living di- it's, it's so alive it's pulsating that yeah. that movie probably more than any is the one that I'm sad that I missed and you guys went to go see it like I, I teach so I'm on like a teacher's schedule and you guys saw it on a weekday up at Lincoln Center and I was like I can't right like super late well, yeah I it can't kind do of it. disappeared from theaters super quickly, so quickly. And had a weird release which is unfortunate and it didn't make the foreign film shortlist yeah. which is a bunch of bullshit because it's but it's 100 so percent my like top number one most regret that I missed film. I also think it's, I mean, I don't know because I haven't seen the film, but I also think it's interesting just as far as like, you know, this year, especially with like the Me Too movement and Time's Up and everything like that, I feel like I've felt a lot of connection to the feminist movements that came before me, Hmm. both their pitfalls and their shortcomings as well as their successes and the... um, paths that they have cleared for me. I'm definitely a feminist. I'll say it with no regret. I'm a feminist. Capital F. Um, (laughs) You know, and I, so I, but I have this like generation and generation, a couple generations of women to like look to for both answers and ways in which my generation can do better. And I feel like for the gay community, like, you kind of don't. The majority, it's young. the majority yeah. of the people—I mean, not the majority, but a large population of people who came before you died oh, because yeah. of AIDS. And those whose you know, friends like, died are still alive. Right. Like that's what I—that's yeah. what I mean. That it's like yeah. this like fascinating thing that we don't talk about. That in some ways, like you guys are leaving the path for what it means to be gay. Because you don't have that generation in front of you. It's crazy to you think that... You were AIDS activists who many of them died. There are so many people still alive who lived through World War II, and that feels like such an ancient yes. historical relic of a moment. Yes. And that this, like, I mean, we are happily legally married as two gay men. Well, happily, question mark. No, well, yeah, sure. <laughs> no, we are just legally. <laughs> Spoiler alert, marriage Mediocrely is Mediocrely married. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, no, and no. that's so much just within the span of like 20, 30 years as... Um, 10 years. Right. It's... Five years. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. It's, but this was it's 1990 and I was alive and around and this was happening. And, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. It's a lovely choice. A fantastic film. You should all check it out. That's BPM. My number six uh, is a film that has been mentioned already. Ooh. It is The Big Sick. Uh-huh. So directed by Michael Showalter. This was the, you know, Kumail Nagiani and Emily V. Gordon based on their own experiences. She in the coma, as you heard 20, 30 <laughs> minutes ago. Um, I also adore romantic comedies. They're my favorite genre this of film. I miss them, but... I'm I'm so happy that this exists and that the quality was so so high. Yeah. You can tell so much a that it's written by two people who experienced this actual event this and it feels right. Event. It's so authentic. But also I really love that you can tell it's written by both a man and a woman. Oh, and 100%. The, and like you Great you point. get such an equal even though she's in a coma for a lot of the film. You get a lot, like, one of my favorite, I'm not going to be able to quote it, but one of my favorite things is, like, he gets her home, puts it on a movie, like a zombie film or something like that. It's, like, a, it's he, a Vincent Price movie. Yeah, that he's, like, he really wants, 
it's something that's close to him is this is this film and he wants to know like it's a true test of the relationship like how much is she gonna like this film and she's like great I love it when someone just sits and I love it judges when someone, me someone gives tests me on my taste or something right so when a yeah. man tests when me a man tests yeah. me on my taste right like there are lots of little moments and clips like oh. that that really flesh out the female character in a way that a lot of Clearly romantic comedies haven't woman. or even vice versa where the female has been fleshed yeah. out but the male character hasn't that this cipher, is really yeah. a, a two right it's really and the same thing exists in the parents and Ray Romano oh my god absolutely and yeah. it's just showing yeah. their marriage and those we will definitely talk about both those performances <laughs> yeah. but just the relationships of all of them it's all so spot on you get such a believable history between of course the Ray Romano and Holly Hunter and their marital history yeah. but then also the their relationship with the daughter even when like we don't see them until after she's in a coma yeah and just their relationship it's ah uh, it's so it's such a great script i'm so happy that they got nominated for original screenplay the stakes of course are super high and it could be something that's really like circumstance or plot heavy but it really it's not cumbersome it's no. still really light and deceptively easy like it look yeah. like it should be i mean that's also the thing with romantic comedies like they look easy yeah but it's not an easy genre to pull off there's such heart it's a great true story it's authentic yeah love it love it love it I and love again it. like the culture thing like you discussed like yeah yeah i love it i love that it there are some hokey moments but i don't care or like broader pitched comedy moments but i don't care Great. Top to bottom, I fucking love it. And it, as you said, it's a movie that really improved on a second rewatch mm-hmm. where I was like, yeah, that was a good movie, that like a romantic comedy, but romantic comedies aren't like capital I important. But yeah. rewatching, I was like, no, this is like a seminal film. This is a great work yes. that absolutely needs to be my top 10. It's my number six of the year. I love it. I love that it's even, I feel like this is very much like loving last year where I didn't anticipate it <laughs> wow. being higher on your list than my list. Surprise. Um, my number six, to finish off this part and then I promise we will take a break and come back with our top five because I know we've been rambling for hours. (laughs) So my number six is Okja! Yes! I I mean Okja came out and I had been meaning to watch it for like months. I feel like it came out in the summer maybe? Yeah I think so like late summer. And then I finally watched it this fall and I fucking loved it which is no surprise because I really think that I just love Bong Joon-ho I think he's such a radical filmmaker but in a way that like the radicalness of his filmmaking pays off because it feels like nothing else he also is just a really freaking competent filmmaker yeah so his action sequences are incredible like I'm thinking about specifically the scene where um the main girl which I apologize because if you don't know what Okja is, like, look it up, figure it out. But it's basically about <laughs> <laughs> a genetically bred form of super pigs um, where this company who wants to make cheap meat, essentially, um, but promote their company run by Tilda Swinton, who's predictably batshit crazy genius. and genius and a Bong Joon-ho playing twins because she should always play twins. She should play triplets in every movie. I mean, she should just play every character. But um, they send out really just as a PR stunt because, of course, they're actually mass producing these super pigs. But they send out like eight to different families all around the world to see like which one thrives with which family, trying to make it seem as if it's this like 
organic, sensitive, culturally, whatever bullshit. Right, like solving world hunger through creating these yeah, bullshit, bullshit, genetically bullshit. modified super pigs. But so we follow Okja, which is the name of the super pig that belongs to a little girl who I forgot to look up the character name, and I'm going to mm-hmm. butcher the actress's name, but it's Si Hyun An. Sure. Um, and their bond is so pure. I wrote down on my little notes that it's like, a bonkers ET for a new generation. Yes. yes. Um, that is apt. All of the establishing stuff of them in South Korea and their relationship and their bond is so moving and takes me back to childhood uh, in a way that I wouldn't necessarily think from coming from Bong Joon-ho because I think of his stuff as being relatively more like adult fair, but he perfectly captures that bond and then the super pig is taken from her and she goes on this quest to get him back and Mm -hmm. she ends up with some like animals right activists oh sure who try to help her free okja and there's this extended chase sequence through south korea like through a mall that is so spectacularly filmed i mean bong joon ho is a master 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 filmmaker but on top of that the tone exists entirely separately from any other filmmaking I've seen. Like I've seen a little bit more just in recent years of Asian cinema Mm -hmm. and it doesn't fall into the category of Asian cinema. It doesn't fall into the category of American cinema. Like it's its own brand and it's so exciting and thrilling to watch. I also found it deeply moving. I am spoiler alert, a vegetarian and I found spoiler. I found the end so tragic it's ostensibly a happy ending but it's also so fucking grim it's pretty grim yeah um again the specifics like it's seamlessly international this film Mm -hmm. for sure but in a way that it's not international just to be international and that each person's perspective is very deeply tied to their country of origin so, like, we see the sort of naivete of the main character coming from rural South Korea and her existence. And then we also see the, like, corporate American ideals of Tilda Swinton and Jake Gyllenhaal. Who making is all the choices. Fucking insane, making all the choices, but it matches what Tilda's doing, and I actually didn't mind oh, it. Oh, I love it. And it, that those aspects make me interpret it almost like Shape of Water, like it's a fable or oh, almost like a Oh, 100%. It's yeah, not yeah. meant to be, like... A deeply realistic no, picture. No, no. Yeah, no, no. Um, but then I also, like a standout for me, who I'll mention only because he won't be in our individual performances, I really love Steven Yeun, mm. who I also really liked. I only watched like the first two seasons of Walking Dead and I got bored with the show, but he really caught my eye and I thought he was very engaging and interesting. But And he's great in Okja. But the specificity of that character and the idea of being part of the diaspora of where he's from, that he's both American and has these Korean ties. And like, I mean, it's like all sort of seamlessly integrated into it in a way that his character is, again, when we talk about, you know, I think that for so much of filmmaking, like it's just been like white is the default normal, yeah, and the normal. So for a long time, the idea was like colorblind casting just so we could have like minority people actually get work. Mm-hmm. And now that it's gotten a little slightly better at that, it's like, well, but maybe it shouldn't be colorblind. Maybe it should be that we actually tell the specific stories because people who are of a different ethnicity who are part of a minority have a different life experience. So why aren't we showing that? 
Right. Um, another movie that didn't make my top ten, but I really loved Columbus. Like, it deals with that with John Cho's character, too, right? Which is that it's important his character is Korean-American. Like, that is a part of who he is. It shouldn't be played... It's not just that it was any man and they cast a Korean-American actor. It's that. It was a part written for a Korean-American. And anyways, that's the same with Steven Yeun's, and I just love that it's, like, seamlessly integrated into Okja, and... It was so much fun, and I really, really want a super pig, and I'm really, really yep. sad that I do not have a super pig. I know. The visual effects are um, amazing. So with that, we'll leave you to contemplate how you would cuddle, how would you, you would romp through the mountains of South Korea with a super pig. Mm-hmm. And we will be back shortly with our yeah. one through five. Go watch all five those films one. that you haven't seen, and we'll be back <laughs> with part two with our favorite five films of the year. Thanks for listening. Bye. See you soon. Bye.